Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Every so often, I'll have a moment, and it happens more than it used to because I'm getting older, but I'll have a moment where I'll just, I'll just realize, wow, things are changing fast. You ever have those moments? Like you're just a jarring moment where you realize how much has changed in a little amount of time. Uh, it wasn't long ago, it was a few months ago, I, my uh, brother-in-law and I had our sons in my grandfather's barn and we were rummaging through some of my late grandfather's old stuff. It's something I love to do when I'm in Fredericton. I just steal my grandfather's stuff. He doesn't mind. He's in heaven. He said, you can have it. So I, I go through there and see if there's anything worth using. And my son came upon this contraption that he, he did not know what it was. And he handed it to me. And he said, Dad, what is this? And I took it into my hands and noticed that what my son did not realize was this is called, son, a cassette player. He literally had no idea. He had never seen a tape deck. And I proceeded to show my son, okay, son, grab a tape. It was uh, the McCamey's Quartet, Southern Gospel. My grandfather was a Southern Gospel guy. We put that in. I said, now press play. And he presses play, and the song starts. And I go, now, son, skip to the next song. And he goes, how? Where's the button? And I go, it's, those, it's, the, it's the forward button. And he goes, okay. And he presses it down, and... And then it just stops because he thought it would be like a digital press and it would go to the next thing. I said, like, no, you got to push it down. And I pushed it down and the thing starts going. I go, now, he goes, and now what? And I go, well, well, press play on the next song. And he presses play. And I had to teach him, no, son, you gotta, you got to navigate on a tape. You can't just skip to the next song. You can't just choose your song. you got to fast forward or rewind. And you might not even be able to get it clean at the start. You might have to listen a little bit to the last song. Anyway, things change fast, don't they? And the older you get, the more that happens. And I do think it's something that comes with age. But I wonder if we're not living in a time where we are seeing the most aggressive and transformational change worldwide at a rate that is unprecedented in human history. In fact, by all accounts and data, and you can, you can go all over the internet and find sociologists and psychologists and economists and politicians, they will unanimously say that the rate of transformation and progress in the last 40 years has outpaced all of the progress and all of the transformation and advancements in all of the previous years of human history. Like some of the shifts that are happening right now culturally and economically and technologically and sociologically are so vast that we can hardly keep up. And I know we all think when we get older, you know, especially when I was younger and I heard the old people complaining about, oh, things are changing and the kids these days. And we all go through that to some degree. But I suspect we are actually in a time of advanced, widespread, fast change. And it's happening before our eyes. You know, in 1964, Bob Dylan wrote the song, The Times Are A-Changin', but in 1964, things were just getting warmed up. You know, you go through the 60s, and we start into space travel, and then we start to see real technological advancements start to kick into gear in the 80s, and then in the 90s with the advent of the Internet. And the Internet has absolutely changed and shaped this world. And if you haven't caught up to that yet, you need to, because we no longer, no longer live in like a geo-industrial political age. We now live in a networked age, an age of fast-moving information and global digital connection. 
We are no longer separated by geography. We are now brought together by ideology that is made possible through the internet. There have been major global shifts that have happened in the last 20 years, 25 years. If you could go back in time, those of you who were alive like me in the 90s, and explain 2021 to you in the 90s, can you imagine trying to just get your head around it? Wait, Donald Trump was the president? Just so many things have just come and gone, and it's just fast-changing and fast-moving. And we are in a time of transformation and in a time of transition and a time of disruption. We're in a window of disruption and transition, and we are as the church as well. The church is right in the midst of these global things that have changed, and we are now waking up to the reality in the church that we no longer live in here in the West. For the first time ever in the Western Hemisphere, the dominant culture is no longer based on Judeo-Christian values. You are living in the times that, that since the first settlers came into North America and in South America, those ones, they came with Judeo-Christian values. And now, for the first time ever, we are in a post-Christian society. You live in that space right now. In Halifax, in New Brunswick, Charlottetown, the whole world is now shifted, especially in the West. Now, there are pockets and spaces that are happening around the world in Africa and Asia where God is really affecting the culture, and we're believing that for here. But you've got to realize something, that we are in new territory as the church in the West. We just are. People do not have a basic Christian worldview any longer. And that's an important thing to realize, that we're in a moment of decision and disruption, and we need to make a decision for ourselves about how we are going to appropriate our lives as people of faith. I've been thinking a lot lately about the, the nation of Israel and the journey that they made into the promised land, the, God, the land that God had promised, and the story particularly of Joshua. Everybody familiar with Joshua? Those of you, well, you're not, some of you aren't because you didn't grow up in church. There's my case in point. We are so ingrained with the assumption that everybody grew up doing Bible stories on felt board. They didn't. So Joshua was the, the, the leader of the nation of Israel when they finally stepped into the space, the land that God had promised them. But it was an 80-year journey. Joshua was a young man who lived in Egypt, and he was under the hand of Egyptian slavery as one of the Israelites. He was there when, uh, when God raised up Moses and led them out of slavery into the land, into, out of slavery across the ocean where God parted the sea and brought them into the wilderness into freedom. He was there when they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness, and he was there when they crossed the Jordan after a whole generation died, and after Moses died, and they crossed into the Jordan, he was there when they began to take the land. And it was an 80-year process from leaving Egypt to stepping into the land and getting a foothold, an 80-year process. And they finally got a foothold, and they finally got established, although there were some spaces yet to be conquered he gets everybody in one place, and we find at the end of his life, he gives them in this moment of transition between where they were and where they're going, between slavery and wandering in the wilderness and warring for space, and then this next season of their lives in that space between where they were and where they're going, and he gives them this instruction. He gathers them together. He gathers the whole nation. This is the end of the book of Joshua. And he tells them to be very strong and be very careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. 
without turning aside to the right or the left, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Now remember, they had just come into a new land and they're surrounded by different nations, different kingdoms, different cultures, and different quote-unquote gods. He says, don't associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their small g gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. He gives them this advice. He reminds them. And then he goes off and he starts to remind them about God's faithfulness to them to get them through the, the, their trial in the wilderness. He says, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. Joshua was 110 years old when he died. So he was very aware that he didn't have a lot of time left. And so he was giving them his last words. And he said, you know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He reminds them of God's faithfulness, that he was faithful in Egypt. He was faithful at the, at the sea. He was faithful in the wilderness. He was faithful as they crossed the Jordan. He was faithful as they battled in Jericho. Not one promise has failed. Are you thankful today for a God whose promises never fail? That's not my message, but that's, that's worth saying today. Somebody needs to be reminded of that. Maybe I need to be reminded of that. And then he goes on and he says this, and this is really where I want to land today, and this is the idea we're going to center on for the next couple months. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. He's calling them out, and he says, throw away the gods of your ancestors, the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Make a decision. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. You need to make a decision. You can't waver between one or the other. It's all or nothing when we serve the God of Israel, when we serve Jesus Christ. It's all or nothing. He says, whether the gods of your ancestors serve beyond the Euphrates or, whether, or, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he says this statement. This is the statement that's going to launch into this, this series that we're doing. He says, but as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, we are in a moment of in-between. We're in a moment of transition and disruption. And right now, you have got to make a decision to identify all of the cultures and kingdoms and values around you and, call, call, and decide today who it is and how you're going to serve. Make a decision. You see, for Joshua... Life was not a matter of what you believed. Notice in nothing here did he say, which God do you believe in? For Joshua, it wasn't a matter of how you believe. It was a matter of how you build. It's a matter of what you do with what you believe and how you appropriate your life in faith and how you build yourself in deference to the Lord. He says, I am going to establish my house on the Lord. We will not serve other gods. We will, we will serve the Lord only. And he reminds them, if you go home and you read Joshua 23 and 24, he reminds them of the reward of serving the Lord and the harm and the disaster that comes when you do not. And this is echoing, I guess Jesus really fulfilled these words ultimately. Do you remember when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. He preached the Sermon on the Mount, and we're told that he gave this big kingdom manifesto. He talked about who God came to bless, 
and how God came to bless. And he taught, the, he taught how to see things and understand things through the value system of the kingdom. And he invited people to come follow him and find salvation. And then at the very end, he kind of, he brings it all home to a point of decision for everybody who's listening. Look what he said. He said this. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You see, it's not about believing if he's Lord. It's about actually believing in such a way that you've appropriated it into your life. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Didn't we go to church sometimes and didn't we do some Christian-y things? And he says, really, it's not about that. He says, I'll tell you plainly, I never knew you. See, you had a version of me in your mind that wasn't actually me. You, you weren't building your life on me. You were hoping I'd come in and augment your life that you were developing in your own image. Away from me, you evildoers, he said. And then he goes on, he says this. He lays down the gauntlet. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice you notice how active the language is? It's not about believing. It's about, it's about behaving in such a way that backs up the beliefs that you say you have. He says, those who put them into practice, whoever hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, the kingdom life, the life that Jesus promises, it's cultivated and it's built intentionally and fearfully and deliberately. And if you go about the life of faith haphazardly or apathetically, it will end in a disaster. This is what Jesus is saying. This is what Joshua is saying. That you have got to actually make a determination and a decision of devotion. You've got to actually separate and consecrate yourself and say, I will serve the Lord. Because listen, halfway is not enough. If you have one foot planted on the rock and one foot planted on the sand, when that sand moves, you're going to move with it. So he says, plant yourself, build yourself on the rock. I believe we are in a moment where we have got to make decisions as to, as for us in our house, who will we serve? I believe we have a moment, a window. I think we are in a time of transition, not just globally, not just culturally. I believe we're in a time of transition as a local church body, as King's Church. Thus far, the Lord has brought us, and I, I resonate with Joshua. I am so grateful for the faithfulness of God to this point. He has brought us on a near 40-year journey as a local church. He's moved us into three different provinces. He's seen literally thousands of people come to know and serve and love Jesus. We've baptized even in the last uh, nine years. We've seen like 700 and some people baptized. I am thankful and grateful for the faithfulness of God. But we are at a space right now where we've got to decide to double down. And we've got to decide how we are going to proceed. Because there are forces in surrounding us right now that are pushing up against us, trying to gain entry into the house. And there are ideologies and philosophies that are trying to get into the house, and we have got to make a decision, no matter the cost, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe we're in that moment. 
And I believe this is a moment where we need to, again, humble ourselves, come down to the foundations, and fasten ourselves on the rock like we have before. We did it in 2012 in a time of disruption and transition. We didn't just decide to try to fix things. We decided to just pour ourselves out on God in worship, that he would do a new work, that we would give ourselves no matter the cost to him. We didn't care what people said or people were saying or what would they think or who would leave. We just knew that God was calling us to serve him with a greater measure of devotion and passion and we saw God do a new work and I believe we're in a new space right now we're in that moment where God is asking can I have it all again can I have it all again not just for our whole church but for your life for your family and this is really what Joshua is getting at. He's, he's trying, it's a wake-up call to remind ourselves of some things. A, a couple ideas I want to share with you before we're going to spend some time in this stuff in the coming weeks. But here's some things even coded in what Joshua was saying that I think is going to be helpful for you to bring clarity to what I'm talking about. But when it comes to this idea of new territory... The first thing we got to think about is just this decision that we need to make. And it starts with recognizing the fact that we are currently surrounded by imposing countercultures that do not align with the kingdom of God and do not agree with the truth of Jesus Christ. And so we've actually got to make a choice. And choice comes through being aware of the options and then making a decision as to what you believe is true. And this is what Joshua was getting at. And he was saying this to the people that he loved because he'd seen it before. He'd actually, he was there in Israel. And he knew that if you do not actually make a choice, that these forces and these currents and the rain, as Jesus said, and the wind and the forces of culture, that if you don't make a decision, that these things are going to press up against you. And if you're not intentional, they will overtake you. And they will cause you to come to serve them. And Jesus, or Joshua saw how easy that happens in people. He remembered how quickly people lose sight of the truth they once held. He was there in the wilderness. He, he was there just after God had performed unbelievable signs and wonders and miracles. He was there for it. And he also was there for how fast the children of Israel began to doubt how fast they began to grumble, how fast they began to criticize, and how fast they began to shape their faith in their feelings and own understanding. Like if we had time, I'd go and we'd look at the story where Moses goes up the Mount Sinai. You remember this story? Some of you are familiar with it. And God is giving him the law, etched in stone. And at the same time, the children of Israel are so doubtful and so fearful that they take all of their gold and they form a golden calf and they start to worship it. Now, when you and I see that, we're like, well, that's stupid. But what was happening was that's how they were translating their faith. They'd fallen off. The, the reality of the truth. And now they're saying, if you go and read it, it says, this is the Lord your God who brought you out of Israel. They're forming God in their own image instead of letting God form them in his. And this is what happens if you are unaware of the forces that are trying to form you. The appropriation of culture is so fast and so quick. Have you ever noticed how quick you can absorb things? I remember one time I spent a summer traveling in the United States, most of which was in the South. Now, I wasn't there long enough to pick up a Southern drawl, but I was there long enough to like 
edge off how a good Canadian does his vows, you know? And when I got home, my friends were like, why are you, why are you saying house? It's house. It's house. That's how we talk here in the Maritimes. <laughs> right? And like quickly, and I wasn't trying to talk like a southerner. It was just shaping and shaping how I was thinking and talking. Have you ever noticed how fast you're influenced? You hang around with a group of people. I heard one, one quote say, you are the average of the five people you trust and hang around with most. And it's true. We can quickly absorb culture. And so the question I think we need to ask today is, what is forming you? What is forming you? Do you realize what is currently pushing up against you? I read one stat that said the average Christian spends two hours a month in church and is bombarded by 150,000 advertisements a month. And yet we're unaware that that's having an effect on us. It reminds me of that, uh, that, remember that speech, anybody ever hear the speech by David Foster Wallace? And he gets up and he says, there were two young fish swimming one morning and they came up upon an old fish and they said, morning, sir. And, they, and the old fish said to them, hey boys, how's the water? And then he swam off and the two looked at each other and said, what's water? And his point is, you can be so in something, you aren't even aware of its effects on you. And right now, you are currently being pressed by competing religious worldviews, the most unbelievable time of information overload. Do yourself a favor and just fast from social media a day a week. It'll change your life. Social media and the, media, the mainstream media industries, which do not purport truth, they are marketing themselves to you. They are commodifying, commodifying your fears and your appetites and desires. You need, you need to know that. There's government and political agendas pushing against you. There's progressive ideologies and woke culture that sound good, comes in the guise of virtue, but is actually unbelievably deceptive and destructive. There's critical theory and cancel culture swirling, trying to convince you how to think and what's right. There's the cultural zeitgeist and the whole global network of this thing raises up and then that thing comes. There are secular ideologies and post-Christian worldviews. There's the entertainment is industry trying to show you what glory looks like and then there's this there's false gospels of consumerism the consumer christianity there are false gospels pushing against us and you need to realize right now that these things are not passive they're actively trying to shape and form the church. And this is why Joshua was so, so intent on saying, listen, these surrounding neighboring cultures and kingdoms, they aren't looking at you saying, oh, it's cool they live here. They're coming after you. And you have got to make a decision of separation. And you have got to realize that if you are unaware of how you are being affected, you are being affected in a way you are unaware of. And so the invitation of Christianity is ultimately to be formed by and filled with the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom of God in every stage, place, season, or circumstance. And I believe right now, I just want to level with you, King's Church, I believe we're at a time right now where we've got to ask these questions and say, am I more formed by the word or the world? Does my life take the shape of the word or the world? I believe we're in a moment of formation. 
that starts with foundations. And I believe that God is bringing a swift end to the day in this part of the world and around the world. Because guess what? We just quoted it in the Apostles' Creed. He's coming again, and he is not coming for a half-hearted bride or for a bride with divided loyalties. He is coming for a bride whose heart and affection is all in on him. And so I believe the Spirit is doing a mighty work right now of weeding out people in the church who will confess Jesus with their mouth and deny him in every other part of their life. I believe Jesus is coming, he's bringing a swift end to I'm Christian by association. Or I'm a Christian, my grandma went to church. I believe the Lord is bringing a swift end to consumer Christianity. It is no longer culturally beneficial to come to church. You get no cultural credit for being a Christian. In fact, it is increasingly a detriment. And I believe the Lord says, good, I need Christians who will count the cost. I believe this is the moment we're in. It's a moment of decision. It's also a moment of distinction. It's a moment of distinction. This begins not just by identifying the surrounding gods and cultures and kingdoms that are affecting us, but identifying ways that we might be infected. Ways that ideologies and cultures are creeping in to to distort and twist the gospel and the truth. And I'll tell you, that happens. It happens. And this is why I love it. He said, as for me and my house, he begins to draw some lines. And we have got to come into this place where we reemphasize unchanging kingdom culture. We actually got to take a stand. I, I hear in Joshua, I hear in Joshua's voice, like, not in my house. Like that thing rising up. And I feel the spirit of the Lord right now in our church saying, you, you need to actually rise up and make some decisions that that does not gain entry into this house. And I believe there's, we're in a time right now where the Lord is flushing out certain attitudes, certain demonic things, all kinds of stuff. It's like he's saying, not in my house, and he's looking for a church who will say it too. Joshua saw it. He saw it in Exodus. He saw it in the story of Exodus. Do you know why an entire generation did not go into the promised land? Like the children of Israel, God delivered them from Egypt, and then instead of going straight to the promised land, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Do you know why? Because even though God could get them out of Egypt, they couldn't get Egypt out of them. They could not get the bondage of Egypt out of them, and they were not fit for what God had for them. And so God let a whole generation die off, and only Joshua and Caleb and a new generation went in and took the land. And I think this is a time where we've got to examine our hearts and say, are there things creeping in that we are actually tolerating, that that the kingdom of heaven doesn't tolerate? Are there there half-truths or even 99% truths that in fact are, are fully lies, that aren't fastened to the rock. We, I believe, right now are in a time where we have got to, to examine and, and think, you know what, are we, are we being influenced and infected by things that are not true according to, the ro- according to the rock? I think we're in that moment. This is why the, the, the early church had those creeds. This is why Paul, if you read the the New Testament, Paul's letters are filled with instruction on, on doctrine. 
like constantly to the Corinthians, like let me remind you of the hope that we have and the gospel that I preach to you unless you have believed something that is not a gospel at all, he says. This is why he spends time, all the time, 1 Corinthians 15, let me remind you what this is all about. Let me remind you the truth. Let me remind you whom we have believed. This is why the book of Colossians was written. It was written to, to correct Gnosticism. People who are trying to separate the spirit from the body and people who are starting to take doctrine and run in the wrong direction. Paul says, no, not in my house. And this, is, this happens, this is happening today. It happens the same way every time. And you might see this in your, in your house. You might even see this in your own mind. But it, it always begins with, with a slow drift in reverence. Distraction and destruction always begins in the heart for the believer. The moment that your affection just comes off ever so slightly, that's where the enemy starts to do his work. And what happens is a loss of worship and reverence turns into a dilution of previously clear beliefs. You, you, you aren't as clear on what you, prior, you held before. And then once, once he gets into your mind and starts to clutter your mind from the truth and, and confuse you, it converts into lifestyle. It converts into a decrease in obedience. You, you lose investment. You lose commitment. It started here, and then it goes into your life. And then what happens if you, if, if you don't correct this and get back to a posture of reverence and worship before God, what will happen is it's going to move into this deconstruction and de disintegration of biblical authority. We stop taking this so seriously. And we start trying to make it say things it doesn't say. And we start trying to, tr trying to like pull it and, and twist it to, to, to actually fit our beliefs instead of it forming our beliefs is what happens. And then that dis disintegration ultimately leads, you can deconstruct this so far uh, where the enemy will actually start to, to twist clear truths and you will start to see the exact opposite. You will start to call things that God calls abominable, you'll call them good, and you will call things good that God calls abominable if you let this go far enough. This is why, this is why it says in Isaiah, woe to you who say Call this good and that bad, and, and, God, and God's the opposite. This is, this, is, this is what it's getting at. And then it goes even further, and it gets into this distortion and deception of clear biblical teaching. It actually has twisted it. The, Jesus said there will come a day where they throw you out of the synagogues and think they're doing the Lord's will. Where they've inverted the truth. And that's what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to get you off the truth. To, to, to reform and reshape a truth in your own understanding or, or based on your feelings or based on popular culture. And then what happens is it ends up moving in the church to division and disassociation. This is why you're seeing so many people leave the church. It's, oh, I don't believe that's okay. Or I don't think Jesus would really mean that. Or when Jesus said, you know, obey my commands, he really meant obey my suggestions. Division moves into desecration, and desecration moves into destruction. And we're seeing it. We're seeing it. I mean, it's infecting the church at an alarming rate. And I'm seeing it as a pastor. There have been things I have seen shared on Facebook, conversations I've had with well-intended people who think they're speaking the truth from a Christian perspective, and you're saying things that are the exact opposite of what the gospel is all about. Like when you say, I have to stay true to myself, you have been deceived. 
Because the heart of the gospel is you are not true and you are not trustworthy. And we, the worst thing that you can do is stay true to yourself. In fact, the gospel says, flee yourself and cling to Jesus who is the truth. That's what the gospel says. Don't stay true to yourself. When you say things like, I just got to follow my heart. The, the scripture clearly says that your heart is wicked and deceptive beyond all belief. That you can't trust your heart. That you, that's why Jesus came to the cross to actually demonstrate what real love and real truth and real grace looks like. You're seeing it. You're seeing it all through. You're seeing things get so twisted in the, in the, in the culture. Just this past week, I, re I read one book by a, or I saw, I saw a quote from a book. I did not read the whole book and would not read the whole book. I saw a quote from a book from a pastor slash Christian psychologist. It was a prayer devotional book asking, asking God to help me hate white people. Huh? This is, this, I saw this tweet this week after Easter. This is Reverend Raphael Warnock. Reverend, the governor. He says the meaning, or the senator, I think, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether you're Christian or not. Through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Y'all, that is not the gospel. The gospel is you can't save yourself. Look, look, I, 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 saw the, I saw this video. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry if this is offensive. No, I'm not, actually. I'm not. Not, not in my house anymore. I saw this video this, uh, this past month, and I, I would play it, but I don't want to get sued again. Um, but, oh, it's good to laugh, isn't it? But he said, he, said, he said in his video, and I'm sure this is a nice guy, and I'm sure the, the, the deceptive part is he's well-intended. That's the sinister part of it, is the enemy will get in on what sounds true and your good motivations and distort them to destruction. And he gets in and he starts to suggest that, did you know that Jesus was a racist? And he said that, the, that he called a woman a dog, he said. And she rose up and spoke the truth to power, he said, and... And Jesus repented of his racism and worked on himself. Y'all. If, I know we're laughing about it, but if you believe that Jesus had to repent, you have left the house. Like this is built on the fact that Jesus was perfect, calling us to repentance. There are things that cannot change. No matter what the culture says, no matter what cultural current is swifting and how it's flowing, there are things. Jesus knew that there were going to come times that were going to be a little bit more incongruent than others. He didn't say, you know what, when it gets hard, you can, you can call me a racist. See, we've got to recognize, and this is what I love, he said, as for me and my house, you've got to recognize that these forces are coming up, trying to gain entry. They're not just pushing against, they're trying to get in. And so if you are, if you're quote-unquote a progressive Christian, you're not a Christian. And I mean that with all love and sincerity. If you put anything before Christian, it's not Christianity. 
If it's a social gospel, social justice gospel, if it's a prosperity gospel, no, the gospel is just the gospel and everything comes after it. And these things are trying to gain entry. And so I believe what, what Joshua is saying, and I believe this moment that we're in, is this is a not-in-my-house moment. And this is a moment where we decide what we tolerate and what gets in and what gains entry and what foundations we're going to build on. And you know what? These things may get worse. They may intensify. That's not the call. The call is choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that means looking within the four walls of my heart, of my mind, of my family, of this church, and saying, is there anything in here that is contrary to the truth of the cross, to the truth of the gospel? Is there anything here that, that God wants to be a foundation has actually become a stumbling block? And I believe this is the moment that we're in where we have got to actually reassess. We've got to actually stand on what we believe. And so for the next, next season, this is, this is really what we're going to be trying to do as a church. See, the invitation and the challenge of the Christian is to build our lives on the rock of Jesus who will not be moved. He will not be moved. That can't only be a promise that we hang on to in trial. If you want a rock that will move for your feelings or for how you see things, it's not the rock of Jesus. The rock of Jesus Christ will not be moved by your troubles or your trials or popular opinion or your feelings or your past or your present or your future. This is the challenge. The rock doesn't move for culture, feelings, fears, or preferences. I want to level with you, and I'm going to wrap up, and we'll, we'll play the piano so you know we're, we're, we're bringing it to a close here. <laughs> what we tolerate in the house matters. How we build matters. And as for me and my house, and as for us at King's Church, we will serve the Lord. And for the next 10 weeks, we are going to reset our foundations we are going to examine what this thing is built on and why. And we are going to fasten and drive our foundations deeper into the rock than ever before. And it does not matter to me who's going to like it and who's not. It doesn't matter to me what criticism we may get, whether we're politically correct or not. Uh, say what you want. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I believe this is a critical moment for our church for this next season. Not just as Charlottetown gets started, but as King's Church gets restarted. As we've come through this pandemic and we're starting to get back into services. And by God's grace, hopefully by fall, this stuff's all behind us. It's a new beginning and we want to start. How you start often determines how you finish. And we want to start deep in our foundations and values. This is a critical moment, and I don't care what it looks like, and I don't care what criticism I'll get. I don't care what the, the paper will publish or who will say what online. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will rest on biblical authority. If it says it in here, we're going to do it in here. Period. And if you have, listen, listen, if you have, it's not to say that if you have a different opinion that you, can't, you have to leave. 
In fact, I've had a lot of people over the years leave our church because they have a different opinion, but they never actually came in and showed me in the scripture why their opinion was what it was. If you have a different opinion and it's in here, by all means, email me. I'll actually read it. If you email me and say, the Bible says, and here you're wrong, you need to repent, I will. If you email me, though, and say, I don't think that you should do that because such and such, and I feel, I'm going to pass that to Pastor Dan, and he's going to respond to you. <laughs> Love you, Dan. But we will. We will, build on, we will build on the scripture. We are going to build on the authority of the word. We are going to put our foundations that we serve a king, not King Brent, not King you, not King you. We serve King Jesus. We are going to reset our foundations that we are a spirit-filled church, that we believe that this isn't just an ideology or a philosophy. We worship a person who is very much here and with us and moves and lives among us and gives us power to live this life. We will double down on being generous like Jesus is generous. We will double down on absolutely getting out there and sharing people sharing with people the good news of Jesus. We're going to build. One final thought. I don't want you to get the wrong idea today that I'm up here with some kind of scarcity. Oh, the devil's coming. Oh, the woke people. Ah. Cancel culture. That's not, that's not what this is about. And Joshua wasn't afraid either when he said, hey, you're surrounded. Choose this day who you'll serve. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I love that he put the word serve in. He didn't say believe. There's an active component to it. It's a, it's a, it's a directional thing. And I, I want to remind you today that God isn't concerned with kingdom protection or saving the church. That's not what this is about. Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Last time I checked, the gates were defensive. And it's the gates of hell. That means that we're taking ground. I'm not worried about the church. I'm not worried about the church surviving. And this is not a message about protecting ourselves. God isn't concerned with kingdom protection. God is concerned with kingdom propagation. This is about expansion, y'all. This is about God's kingdom taking up residence inside of us so that it can take up space outside of us. See, Joshua wasn't saying we're going to settle here. He's like, actually, there's more ground to take. And if you keep reading, Caleb leads a whole other assault, and they start taking more space. This is not about holding, holding down the hatches. This is about standing on what we believe and actually recapturing the heart of God to move forward and cultivate the kingdom of God here and now. This is not defense we're playing. We are on offense, y'all. We have to prioritize new kingdom cultivation. We will serve the Lord. It's about building. Do you know what God's dream is? God's dream was never to, to whisk us away to never, never land. That's not the gospel. God's dream was that heaven would invade earth and that his dwelling would be here, and that what's true in heaven is true on earth, and that he would be our God and we would be his people. That's God's dream. That's it. If you, if you wanted to do a flyover this afternoon, screenshot that, and that's, that's basically the story of the Bible. God blessed humanity. He said, be fruitful and increase in number. Now, some of you were taught that, that the, the earth was just perfect. It wasn't when God made it. 
The Bible says God created things, and then he, put, he had a garden, and he put the man and the woman in the garden, and then the, the design was that he was going to expand the garden, the dominion. But what happened? Sin entered the world, and so God doubled down. He said, I am going to take this world over with my people, and I am going to bless all nations. And so he raises up Abraham, the people of Israel, and says, you're gonna, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. That's the design of the church. And then in Matthew 28, the true Joshua, the true Abraham, the true Moses, the true Adam comes and begins a new work of creation. And then what's he do? He didn't snap his fingers and make everything perfect, did he? Instead, he what? He commissioned the church and he said, go into all the earth. Make the earth like heaven. That's it. That's why we live. It's not to come protect ourselves in the church. We come to church to get fueled up so we can be sent out and we can make Halifax like heaven. And we can make West St. John like heaven. And we can make little kids, our kids, like heaven so that when they go to school, that they're bringing a little bit of heaven with them. You see, God's vision was never overly concerned with these things coming at us. God's vision was this. That the truth of the gospel would overtake lies and overtake deception and overtake destruction and infiltrate this world in such a way until the whole world looks like heaven. So the goal of every believer is to see to it that the whole world comes to look like heaven to the glory of King Jesus but it starts in your house it starts in your house it starts in your home and it starts in this house the kingdom invasion begins where God has access and so my prayer right now as I say to you choose this day who you'll serve my prayer right now is that in this season, we would invite the Spirit, invite the truth, invite the grace, invite the power of God to invade us so richly and so deeply to flush away ways we've been influenced by culture and lies and the enemy and to, to heal our wounds and to build us up because God wants us to be a place that is healing to the nations that people can come to us and find hope and healing and help. And not just that, but that we'll go to them to bring hope and health and healing. Amen? Stand to your feet, everybody, all of our locations. I'm going to pray and you're going to be dismissed. I want to just pray a prayer of consecration today. And I'm going to ask you again. Are you being formed more by the word or by the world? And if you could do some inventory right now in your life and examine it, would the Holy Spirit maybe saying some things to you, saying, you know what, that's actually not of me? And you are operating in a value system that's not in heaven. And I believe this is a moment. You know what, this is not to call out anybody. All of us are prone to this. We're all prone to wander. One of my favorite lines one of my favorite lines in any hymn is prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But 
Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. And that's the prayer right now. And I, I want us to pray together. And as we join at all of our locations, I want, you to, I want you to commit yourself to him again, to choose this day who you will serve. And I want us to agree together as a church in this moment of transition, God, do a new work in us. We will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. We will serve King Jesus. So pray with me. Father, we just, today we say we hear you. We hear your word. And Lord, right now, we just say, forgive us of ways that we have been duped and deceived. Forgive us for, for the ways that we have believed idols and ideologies. Forgive us for the ways that we've been pulled off course. And God, right now, we repent. We humbly repent and we turn and we recommit and reconsecrate ourselves to you. Lord, teach us to draw lines, to draw clear lines that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Help us build this house the way you want us to build because God, we believe that there is a revival coming and you wanna get us revival ready. And so Lord, we just say, use us, build us, form us, shape us so that St. John can look like heaven. And so that Halifax can look like heaven and PEI can look like heaven and this country can look like heaven. We will not be afraid. We know we are on the winning side, and we ask that you launch us into a season of a new work, and we pray this in Jesus' mighty name and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen.